Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Brad Friedel is one of the great goalkeepers to have played in the Premier League. He appeared 82 times for the USA, including three FIFA World Cups. Brad had a club career spanning two decades, with the majority of it spent in the UK with Blackburn Rovers and Aston Villa, as well as stints with Liverpool and Tottenham. He held the rare honour of being just the second goalkeeper to score in the Premier League when he knocked one in for Blackburn Rovers against Charlton Athletic in 2004. Today, he is as passionate about football as he ever was. I had the pleasure of speaking with him recently. Brad, I want to talk to you about um, your younger days coming through the college system, UCLA, Bruins, and what that was like, and how does it compare, say, to an academy system here in the UK? All right, so back in the, back in the 80s, the, there was no professional league in, in the US. So put it, put it this way, so um, it, every best player in the United States would go to university and most of the time on full ride scholarships. So the very best of everyone was basically like the Premier League uh, under 23 league here. So at, we were all there, so it was a really competitive league back back then because you had all your, even some senior national team players that were still oh, wow. yeah, in university. So there was a good a good level because there, no, there was no professional football. So your, your choices were you play in college or you try to go play somewhere abroad, which was really difficult back then for an American player. So the standard was, was really good. Um, today, the college game has suffered a lot because MLS teams are bringing kids into their academies from the age of 12 and 13, and they're paying for their high school, and then they're paying for their university. So the big, thing, the big sticking point for parents when the kids were turning professional was well, I don't want them to turn professional because they can get a full-ride scholarship and education will be free. So MLS has evolved a lot over the uh, the uh, 30 years or whatever it's been it's been around now, and they now have these education funds as well for for a lot of the academy players to come in. So I I think I I still think the university system has a big part to play because of this. You know you know as well as I do that. It's so hard to make it in the professional game. You know, even players 16 to 20 or 16 to 21 years of age, like 67% of them that are like top level elite academy players never play a first team game and they're out of football completely. Uh, it, you know, the, the percentages are high. So I think what we have in the US is probably the best fallback system anywhere in the world of kids that don't quite make it into the professional game from the academy. So you can you could still keep your amateur status at the MLS academies also when you're going through high school. If when you get to the age of 18, you don't make it to the professional game, free education, it's a pretty good fallback. You know, there, there are times when I was doing uh, my coaching badges and being at Tottenham's Academy, the amount of times you would see the kids 15, 16, walking around the place thinking that the next contract's coming, the next contract's coming, and then they get released. And they don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn. So I think the university system still today has a 
big part to play. Um, just a little bit different now because the MLS teams have, have grown so much. Um, but back when I, w when I was there, it was the, the, best of the, the best of the best played in college. It was, it, was, it was a really good league. So do you think that college thing was better than, say, the academies now that clubs are creating? Or is the academy system now like a bit of a hybrid system, sort of taking what the college do really, really well, but also having their own take on it because they're in a football club that want to produce big players, right? Yeah, so in the middle, or when it first started, when the MLS Academy started, it was still better to go to college. Yeah. But now time has gone again, another 10 years or so has gone on. Now it's better for the top players to sign for the MLS clubs because they're still getting the same education. Maybe missing the social element, that's another talking point because it's so important mm -hmm. to, to have your social life. And you know as well, being, uh, being retired, when you're done playing, you need to have some other things to do. I mean, we have, uh, you know, we both know people that have a hard time once they, uh, once they retire. So the social element is something that, that, you, um, that you do miss, but you still have your social environment with, uh, with, your, with your professional team. So I would say now today, if you, so you fast forward 2023, it's better to sign for an MLS team and get your college education paid for. I would say 10 years ago, it was still sort of up in the air as to which, as to which was better um, because the college game still had an element, a pretty decent level to it. The other thing that a lot of universities did, Mark, was um, they started offering full ride scholarships and say, you just come and play with us for one semester so come in this, the, the soccer season's in the fall. So you come in in the fall, you play your 30-game season with us, or 25-game season, and then if you want to turn pro, you turn pro, go to, go to Europe or go into MLS, and your scholarship still, the education part of your scholarship still stays alive um, for your life. So that was another thing that universities were doing to try to keep the notoriety up of the college game. Um, and it also... That still goes on today, and it also helps when a player gets injured. A young, young player, you do your ACL, well, you go back to school. You know, I've um, had uh, players that I coached with the, uh, the under-19 and under-20 national team that um, did not, they got drafted in MLS but did not get offered a contract, so they could go back and they're doing their master's you know, at the, the university they graduated from and things like that. So the, uh, the university system still is a huge part to play, um, and I, I don't, I don't really ever think education is a bad thing. It, it, I think it's a very good thing and something is one, one element of the academy system uh, we were talking before, but you, you're, you're absolutely right. It's one element of the academy system here in England that needs to improve. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like an amazing system, really. I mean, it seems like almost like the perfect system in terms of all-round well-being of a, an individual. So rather than just churning those players out, like you said, that 67% of that elite level don't even make it. Mm -hmm. So it's a great fallback system and something that should be adopted, I think, certainly in this country. Yeah, it's, so the, the co colleges commercialized over in America. Like, the colleges and universities are everywhere. So I think it, it's like it was so hard to start MLS in the, in, 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 uh, in the US. It was so hard to get the thing up and running. So hard. it's amazing where it is right now. It's like the op it's like the opposite. So it'll be so hard in the UK to all of a sudden set up all these universities. You know, so they yeah. they would have it would be a process, uh, of course, because you, you know not everyone's going to go to Oxford or or Cambridge or something. They, they would have to um, they'd have to really dive into it and get some smart minds in there to develop 
the strategy, but um, education is is so key to finding out what are you good at, what do you like other than playing football. You know, there's far more to life than than training, gambling, and having a laugh. You know, <laughs> which which is fun to do too. We we know that, yep. but but it soon it soon ends, and you never know when it's going to end. Whether it's injury or whether someone just doesn't want to sign you anymore. Still a bit narrow blinkered, right? Football clubs are still very much about let's produce the player that we want and if it doesn't work out, they move on and sort themselves out. We're, we're, I think we still need to be better uh, prepared and better organised in that department looking after well-being. Let's move on to your career. You found it really difficult initially to get out of the US to come to Europe. I mean, you had chances to go to Nottingham Forest under Brian Clough. You had a Kevin Keegan at Newcastle. What was that like? I mean, what was going through your head at that time when those moves didn't come out come across because of you just basically couldn't get a work permit yeah, red tape bureaucracy um the crazy thing was so you had all these like le legendary names brian clough uh graham Sunis wanted me at liverpool kevin keegan at at newcastle um it was peter reed and, and paul bracewell at sunderland um you know sheffield wednesday had interest southampton had interest you know all the but all these incredible names in football and i couldn't get a work permit you know, I'm thinking, you know, and Gordon Taylor, who, I'm, who I became very good friends with, a Blackburn supporter, he was so against me coming in, not just me, yeah. but he wanted to protect. And once I became a PFA member, then I understood it and I liked yeah. it. Yeah. But he wanted to protect his members. And, and I just, I didn't have, it was impossible for a 21-year-old goalkeeper to have 75% of senior national team games played in the previous two years. I mean, that's really young for a... You know, 19-year-old to be the num incumbent number one for the national team. That's tough to do. And, and, but his point was, yeah, well, we want the best to come over in the Premier League. This is the criteria. So um, I helped, not I helped, but the, my case and many others started helping the appeals process. There's got to be a system in place for, for young, talented players. There's got to be an appeals process. There's, and, and finally, I, I, I five years on of... of incredible frustration but also looking back on it, i got to go to bromby yep. which was magnificent club at there's the biggest club in um denmark at the time fc copenhagen wasn't where they um, wasn't where they were back then where they are now um so they were the biggest at the time and galatasaray yep. which which was a remarkable experience both on and off the field so i got i got to have those experiences in it but it was just the, the frustration for me is all these football minds that thought I was good enough, and I couldn't get in. Like time and time and time again. And the Premier League for me, for a goalkeeper, I think the Premier League is the best league to play in. Um, you can argue Real Madrid, La Liga, and Barcelona, they're, they're magnificent clubs, and Juventus, and AC Milan, and all that. But for a goalkeeper, the hardest and the best and the most entertaining league to play in is the Premier League. And that's where I wanted to play. So I just kept persevering and fighting it through, and Liverpool finally got it. I always said that, I always said the best league in the world as well. <clears throat> Premier League for goalkeepers and strikers. It's the best league, up and down, pace of the game. And I was the same view of wanting to come and play in the Premier League because of that reason alone. You mentioned those experiences at Bromby and, and, and Galatasaray. Um, how do you describe the two of them? And how do, can you compare the two of them? I mean, they're obviously very different places. The, the mentality of people are very, very different. Culturally, it's so different. How do you, when you want to describe the two of them, how would you compare the two? Can you? Uh, I mean, they're football clubs, so yeah, you can compare them, of course. But um, so living in Copenhagen, where, you, you know, you, 
you could like eat off the street it's so clean right and then you have istanbul which is just this conglomerated magnificent mess of but just it's just fascinating and the culture is the first time and i've, I've raised in cleveland ohio the small little town <laughs> and you know i was i was raised at the time where russia's bad iran's bad and all this and all this and i'm living in a muslim country and nicest people in the world you know and you, you're starting to look at that's the first time I truly figured out that every like media and news and stuff is propaganda just in their own country. You know, it was it was, it was remarkable. Um, the fans at both clubs magnificent. Full house at Brunby, full house at Galatasaray. Um, how you act in a stadium really proper in in, uh, in Denmark and not so proper in uh, in Turkey. You know, we lost a we lost a game in the first part of the season to Fenerbahce, and our own fans tried to tip our bus when we when we came back to the training ground. Um, but then I, I we won a trophy there and. I could go back to still today. I mean, I haven't played there since 1997, I think it was. No, 1996. And they still know me today like it was 1996. It, it, it's, a different, it's a different type of place, different type of atmosphere. Brunby at the time was in the Champions League, just had a uh, run in Europe and done really well. Um, and Peter Schmeichel had just come in, and, and they were producing players. They, they ran in, I think after, many years after I left, they ran into some financial difficulty. But that was a breeding ground for really talented young Danish players. Um, both, both great places, just completely different. You know, one, one you pay... 63% tax and the other place you pay zero <laughs> it's like you know it's just um, one you get your bonuses in a brown paper bag and one you know everything's structured yeah. so you know in Denmark if you're late you know it's, it's a big problem in Turkey you just sit there and wait <laughs> it's just completely different cultures so yeah. both remarkable Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Then you'll move to Liverpool. Yeah. So that finally came through. Graham Soon's finally got his man and it, and it, and it came through. That was based on you played international matches then? You'd, yeah. you'd met, met their criteria? Well, Suey was at Galatasaray now, and he yeah. took me there. So it was Roy Evans, who was with Suey on a staff at Liverpool, kept um, in touch with me. Um, and they finally wanted, they thought that they had enough power to do the deal. Um, so I still needed a few international games. And back then, Galatasaray didn't play an international, uh, sorry, United States didn't play our international matches on international fi fixture no, dates. That's right. Uh, it, was, it was crazy. So I was going to miss, I think, 12 games for Galatasaray. Um, but Liverpool had put a bid in for me. So I went back on loan for a short while to Columbus Crew. So I'd be stateside, played in the national team games, and did the deal and uh, went to... Um, and then, you know, they finally got the uh, the work permit in, uh, I think, December of 96. So it it, it was so, you know, Sunil Gulati at U.S. Soccer had a hand in it. Like, he was, he was fighting because the United States, we wanted players to get to big clubs. You know, that's what they want. Hey, here's a homegrown kid that 
that came through a system when there was no professional league, and he's at Liverpool. They wanted that, you know. So everybody helped, and then I find, and I finally got there. How big a moment was that for you personally, and the realization that right, my dream moves come come through. Not disrespecting the clubs you were previously, but yeah. this is the Premier League. You talked about this is where I wanted to be, the best league in the world. It's for goalkeepers. And how big a news was it in the States when you made that, that, uh, that move? Uh, well, for, so, and not only a club, I mean, it was Liverpool. Yep. Like, you're not like going inside. Yeah, it's not a club, is it? It's, yeah, you're, you're going to a monster. You know, yeah. a monster. Um, I think at the time, as big as it could be in the States, it was big. I think if it was happening today, you know, then with social media and the way that that uh, soccer's progressed in the states it would have been it would have been bigger you know we had like usa today and soccer yeah. digest and soccer america and stuff like that <laughs> but it was it, it it was it was huge for the time i, I put it um, I put it that way like there were people that like when i'd go back people in the soccer world and call it guys i played against in college and like i cannot believe you're at liverpool you know like yeah. there's people because you can sign, you know, no disrespect to some of the other clubs. It just doesn't have the weight of Liverpool, Manchester United. I mean, you, you know the, uh, you know the score. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, and I, I had from like age ten or eleven supported Liverpool. So it was a uh, just remarkable thing all around. Under the Premier League, who um, who's the best striker you've ever played against? Oh, it's a hard one. You get asked this. I know. Uh, I do you know who I really think the best player, and he was an attacking player, so that I played against was Burkamp. Why? His precision of his passing. You know what? I, how I always found players that were just remarkable. You almost know what they're going to do, and you can't stop it. I, I, you know, you'd see out of the corner of your eye, Henri, you know, setting up for his run. You know the through balls coming from Burkamp, and. <laughs> you can't do anything about it and you know he's going to come in he's going to be on his right foot he's going to be at that horrible angle if you you know he wants to bend it around you to your left but if you lean there he's tick like it it's it just the ones where you know what they're going to do um but sheer probably as an out and out striker i always found him i always found him difficult to play against because he 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 was hard um good in the air his sharp runs in the box you know you yep. you you have a look and he's and he's there, and you, then you have to put your eye on the ball for the cross or whatever. And then when you when you look back, he's not there. He's he's where the ball is going. You know he was he was very good, um, very very good. But uh, Drogba was good too. Um, Van Nistelrooy, uh, Zola. Uh, it's really hard to pinpoint one. Um, but if you have to like go for the the top, I guess the top. To Burkamp and Burkamp and Shear, but then I'm not like even mentioning Henri's name. You know, like oh, you get criticised no matter what you do because Shearer for me was so annoying and frustrating. As wonderful a player he is, high ball, he always nudged the defender at the right time. And mm -hmm. I used to think the referees don't give a free kick. Mm -hmm. And but he was so so good at it. For me, it was Henri. Henri. Yeah. I was actually more worried about him when he was running when he was running away from you to create space, and then once he turned, he had all this space to run at players. I thought we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. With Henri, you'd be a goalkeeper. We're just standing there, and let's just say we have a corner or whatever, or didn't run a play, and you just see Henri drift <laughs> to the right, and you'd like almost stand on the on the touchline, <laughs> yep. and you're thinking, what's he doing over there? 
and then then the ball would go into the midfield. Vieira would play it, and then Perez is running. And then all of a sudden, this guy comes right across the field, and you know, oh man! But like, but like Giggsy, like the runs. Yep. And there's there was there were so many, um, so many Hasselbank's shot just for a, just a shot, an out and out striker of the ball. Patrick Berger um, and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. I found there the the wobble and the power that they had. Now, I think you you played with Jimmy, right? I did, yeah. He had the legs, man. He had the legs. Looking look from behind, you didn't think he was a footballer, but Jeezy could play and Jeezy could strike a ball. Yeah, a hard strike. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Harry Kane. Um, so I didn't play against him. Obviously, played with him, but I was coaching at the academy at the time. It was an interesting one because uh, was it uh, was his name Inglethorpe? Yeah. Um, Alex Inglethorpe, Alex Inglethorpe said that you'd you'd mentioned him, you'd seen him, and you talked to him, and you said he's as good a finisher as Robbie Fowler, and I, the same technique. Actually, this is exactly it. so. I was I was out doing the finishing session with them, and I was still playing with the first team. So I, when I was doing the coaching, sometimes I just jumped in goal, and this was in the afternoon after I trained in the morning <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, and I came in, and John McDermott was sitting in his office, and uh, he goes, uh, "I was training, and I was like, good." He goes, "He goes, uh, who was the best?" And I was like, and I couldn't believe he asked the question. And I was like, I was like. Kane. He goes, really? I was like, you're surprised? And he goes, yeah. I said, and he, and I was like, what, what do you think, what are you thinking? Like, you don't think he's the best? You know, I was like, and he goes, he goes, what do you, what do you see? And I said, he's got the power of sheer and the, and, and the disguise of Fowler. It's, it's almost impossible. And I was still, I was, I know I was old, but I was still fit. I was still playing Premier League games. I, I was like, I find it, John, I've got to tell you, I find it really difficult to save his shot. Yeah. And if I do save it, it's a really good save and I'm not holding it. I said, and that's in training. And he was like, really? And they, I, I think they thought I was crazy. They, you know, and John, John is one of the best uh, developers of young players that uh, has ever um, been around. And um, he, he did, he told me a year, uh, maybe a year later, he goes, you know, I honestly thought you were crazy when you made that comment. <laughs> I was like, and then, yeah, yeah, but he was, wow, something, some, some finisher, Mark, some really good. He's not bad, is he? No, not bad. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> um, finally, I just want to ask you about your longevity in the, in the game. We always get asked, yeah. what did you do? How did you get yourself right? How did you prepare yourself? And, and how was it possible that you could play to the age of 44? Okay, the normal things. I, I, I didn't eat garbage food, of course. Yep. Um, I wasn't a big That drink. changed throughout your career? Or was that something you did all the way through? Um, it changed. It got better as my education became more. But I was always pretty decent at it, even in university. Yep. Like I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't a big drinker. I liked a night out. Yep. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't a consistent drinker I didn't smoke and never done a drug in my life you know so I I did the things that were required of um, of keeping yourself physically fit um, I'd start uh, when I was like 30 31 I think I had started getting a couple of muscular injuries and from that point I, I started like diving into looking at education on, on how to prolong your career and I was doing flights back and forth that don't have to tell you about long flights for international duty yeah and um, I got in, I tried Pilates, that wasn't really doing it for me, and yoga, and I, t I think, really, I think yoga um, helped sort of like reshape my body, my flexibility, my durability. Um, and even when I was 44, I, I sat with Mauricio, and he's like, you know, you don't have to retire. You can still do your, you can still, you can be the number three here, and um, 
and do your stuff with the academy. He goes, because we're, like, we're not going to find a you that can still go. And this was 44. I would have been at my 45th birthday, and I did. I could have still played physically. I just wanted, I, it was time. Um, and I, I, I never, like, considered myself a two or a three. Yeah, I was, but I didn't mind it at the time at Tottenham because I was doing all my coaching badges and pro license and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I think I think yoga really, really had a huge part to play in it. Um, I think any, I think goalkeepers, if you stay clear of big injuries, your, your knees, your hips, your your shoulders, you can carry on. Then it becomes a mental thing if you want to. I mean, you you played till what age as well? Forty three. Forty. Yes. Yeah, so we're. So I, like, could you have carried on? I mean, yeah, I was possibly. Like, I think I could have done another year or two. Yeah, but but that that's what I put it down to. Um, looking after yourself. I agree because I, I started shutting down a little bit mentally probably six months before, and the realization this was most likely going to be it, and I was comfortable with it. I think it's more about whether you're ready, right? Correct. Yeah, a- absolutely. I think the players that have a hard time are the ones that end early with injury or something, some other episode in their life. Um, I. I get asked to play in charity games. I get asked. I've never done one. Nor have I. I. I couldn't think of anything worse at 52 years of age, almost 52, diving and conceding like 11 goals in a charity match. <laughs> I just have no, I have no, uh, or a legends match or something. I just have no will to ever dive again in my life. Finally, you've been into management, New England Revolution. You've tried it. Will we see Brad Fiegel back as a manager one day? Possibly, never say never. Say never. Um, I had a hard time with what was above me, not below me. They, the players, the training, all that's fantastic. Um, technical director, coaching things. Yeah, yeah. I could still see myself do it if the if the uh, the project's right, if the time's right. I, I really enjoyed most most elements of it. Thank you for your time, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and talking about all things football. And we could actually go on for hours, I think. It's so enjoyable and interesting. And um, wish you all very much of success in the future. Thanks, Mark. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.